Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Several months before our wedding, Lauren and I took dance lessons to prepare for our wedding reception, that first dance that she and I would dance as a married couple. Uh, this was you know, well over four years uh, ago, and we were living in Pittsburgh at that time, and we came across a swing dance instructor. Uh, it was a lot of fun, but we came away with a lot of sore toes, if, if you know what I mean. Um, it was a new experience for us. I, I, I myself, at least, have never danced before, and there was so much to learn. If you know anything about swing dance, this type of dance, you know that it's, it's a faster-paced dance, which, uh, which made it a little hard for us to, to learn and, and know how to lead and how to follow in the midst of that dance. I was the lead, of course, but that dance, it just moved so quickly that I found myself that I couldn't keep up with the pace and planning for the next move as the lead, and that makes for a poor leader. Uh, Lauren, on the other hand, she was the follower, of course, and uh, she, to, to compensate for the fast pace of that dance, she would try to anticipate the next move, which, of course, I was supposed to decide as the lead, so that didn't make for a good follower either. Uh, it was very hard. We had a lot of fun, and I gained a whole lot of appreciation for those who could actually dance well. So dance, life is very much like a dance, isn't it? Especially relationships, making new friends, loving one another. It's all very much like a dance. Uh, sadly, in our culture, it seems like we need to have a reason to love somebody else. The world's default setting, or at least mostly in our cultures, is one of indifference. If we were brutally honest with ourselves, when we glanced across the news articles of this past week and we came across Nepal and Baltimore and the Middle East, Northern Africa, how many of us had no more than just a moment's concern before our minds were occupied by something trivial? We're indifferent because most of us just don't have a reason to love these people. Now, while we, don't, while we need to have a reason, usually, to love someone, we can easily pile up reasons why we shouldn't love someone, can't we? They're Democrats, or they're Republicans, whatever you don't like. Uh, they don't love me, why should I love them? They live different than me. They look different than me. And the list can go on and on and on. The way the world loves is almost like a business transaction. It's not much different from the Latin phrase quid pro quo, this for that. Just as a business transaction is an exchange of goods, I'll, I'll give you this item if you give me that item, the world loves for its own benefit. It loves people and things that can return that favor of love. And when that love is no longer reciprocal, the world often withdraws its love and doesn't love, love that person anymore. It's very much like this dance, a dance where nobody wants to take the lead. Nobody wants to take, him, to take that first step of offering love to someone who does not yet already love them or someone that they just don't know yet. Actually, it's a little more like that awkward middle school dance, isn't it, where you have 
all of the boys lined up on this wall of the dance floor, and all of the girls lined up on the other wall of the dance floor. The music's going, and everyone's just waiting. Who's going to make the first move? But then we come to 1 John, and we're asked to do the thing that we, by nature, don't like to do. We're asked to be vulnerable. We're asked to actually be the lead and to take the first step. We're asked to love someone who might not love us back. Now, some will say of this passage, oh, no, this, this only means that you, you're to love humanity in general and not this or that person in particular. Well, I wonder how that's possible. And, and I'm reminded that, that St. Augustine once said that if you believe what you like in the Gospels and reject what you don't like in them, it's not the gospel that you believe and love, but yourself. This passage from 1 John is very, very tough. And we have to stare this challenge in the eye if we want our faith to do anything remotely close to what our God intends for it to do. How we think about this challenge and do exactly that is itself a big question. But our lectionary for the Sunday helps us out in that this lesson is paired along with our lesson from John's Gospel, where we have Jesus, who is the ultimate picture and embodiment of love, describing himself as the true vine. And we are the branches that grow out of Jesus, that grow out of that true vine. Essentially, Jesus is saying here that if you are a living branch that is going to bear fruit, then you will find your source, you will find your life, your everything in me, the vine. You see, the branch always takes after the characteristic of the vine. If it doesn't, it withers and dies, doesn't it? That's the analogy. That's the picture that Jesus is trying to describe. And so what follows is that a living branch that can bear fruit will have the same mindset of Jesus. It will understand life and value and meaning and love the same way that its source does, the same way that Jesus does. You see, far too often do most of us think that God is something that we simply add on to our life. We keep our allegiances. We keep our prior priorities. We keep our prior values. Then we just tack God on top of all of it. We add him on to the sum of what we already are. We are more focused. We tend to be more focused on our, on our own individual story and how God is going to come alongside us and join us. But in actuality, what Jesus is saying here in our gospel lesson is that we enter into his story, his much larger and grander story of redemption and salvation that runs throughout all of Scripture and that has all of the world in mind. You see, that's where the power of transformation comes into play here. You see, if I think that God is just something that is added on to my story and who I already am, well, then of course nothing's going to change. God's just going to help me be who I already am. But if I understand salvation and redemption as me being added into God's story and his agenda in the world, 
well, then you better bet that something's going to change or should change at least. My previous values and allegiances and commitments will change as I take on God's values, mission, and meaning. But often we think, well, that's fine and good, but the dance still hasn't begun. And we're still left wanting to ourselves, what does this all mean? Who's going to take the lead? Who's going to make that first step? Who stretches out their neck without knowing if it will be met with a warm embrace or the cold, sharp edge of a sword? But then we're reminded that God has actually taken the lead, hasn't he? Jesus has taken the first step. We read in verse 19 of our lesson from 1 John that God, God actually first loved us. Contrary to our inclination of this transactional type love, I will love you only if you love me, God has decided to love us in a different way. Apart from our ability to reciprocate that love and independent of any response we might offer, God still loves us for no other reason other than that love is the very nature of God. Friends, this is the fundamental truth about God and the defining characteristic to the Christian life according to what St. John writes in this, this first epistle. You see, friends, th this is so fundamental and so important to our faith that if we get this wrong, if we don't understand how God loves us, then we will inevitably fail or simply outright ignore St. John's command to us to love one another. You see, the world, we're brought up in a context that teaches us that we must earn love, that I must give you a reason to value me and to love me. If, if you don't believe me, just go downtown next Friday night and watch the dating scene. You will find plenty of people trying to convince their date that they're worthy of love and that they should be loved, that they deserve love. But what our lesson from 1 John says and makes clear is that God already loves us and favors us, not because we've earned it or deserve it. This is a type of love that you simply can't earn, and it's a type of love that you can't lose either. This is how God loves us. That's the first step to the dance. And now we, friends, this church, follow after his lead. We love him back, and we also love everything and everyone else that he loves. And, and while the world may pick and choose whom it will love, we already know who to love. What a terrible responsibility it must be to have to judge if someone is lovable or not. But it's not up to me or to you to judge if, if someone is lovable or not, if God already loves them. And if God already loves them, then it's a good sign that I should probably love them too. But sadly, far too often, how we love somebody, how we treat somebody, how we treat others, is divorced from what we might often call the essentials or essential doctrines of our faith. Friends, this is a false dichotomy. We don't have the option to choose to believe 
orthodox theology or the cross or choose to believe in social engagement instead. We shouldn't think of these two things in different ways. Instead, they actually belong together. One grows out of the other. Look at 1 John verse 10 here. He says there that, that God demonstrates his love by sending his son, Jesus, to be the propitiation for our sins. Now that big word, propitiation, that's a big theological word that basically means that Jesus is our sin offering. He, he, he atones for his sin. He pays the debt that we owe. All right, so think cross here. Think orthodox theology. Think taking sin seriously here. Conservatives really like that. We're really comfortable with the cross, and we will never compromise that, nor should we. But notice in John's very next breath. See what he writes in verse 11. In essence, he says, if God loves us so much to do that, to do the cross, to be the propitiation for our sins, then come on, we should love one another. Social implications are real because of the cross. No matter how orthodox you are in your theology, you don't fully, you simply fully don't understand the cross until you realize that it impacts your relationships with others. In John's mind, one naturally leads to the other. The cross naturally transforms how we treat the other. These aren't two different options to choose from where most conservatives choose the cross and staunch orthodox theology and most liberals choose social engagement. True spirit-filled orthodoxy actually embraces both. Friends, God has begun this. God has begun this beautiful dance of redemption and love, and we simply follow after his lead. We love him in return, and we love everything else and everyone else he loves. And that includes every person who bears his image. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He loves the entire world. That includes his enemies. That includes those who would soon crucify Jesus. That includes those who would never love him in return. And we are simply called to love others with all that we are because Jesus has loved us with all that he is. The opportunity here, friends, is huge. We all know that we live in an age of paradox. We live in a world that has an infinite way of connecting to one another through, through communication, through so, cell phones, through, through social media. But never have people felt so lonely. They may have 500 or 1,000 friends on Facebook, but not one who truly knows them and understands them. We also live in an age where tolerance is the trump card to everything, where people are crying out to be validated and affirmed, when what they're really looking for is a person to, to love them, understand them, and accept them. As it's been powerfully said before, if you want to do the work of God, pay attention to people. Notice them especially those that no one else notices. There's a tremendous opportunity for the church to meet a desperate need in the world. It's as simple as taking the first step. 
It's as simple as taking the lead in this dance. It's as simple as doing for them what Jesus has done for us. What does that look like? It looks like being a friend to the lonely. It looks like truly listening to the people crying out for attention. It looks like inviting them over and sharing a meal together. It looks like, by word and living example, bringing them to a God who has loved them all along. Amen.